Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege to stand in your presence. The blessing of adoption into your family. How good and wonderful it is that we are your children. You have thought so highly about us and has brought us into that light that it shines bright and darkness does not comprehend it. Thank you, O Lord, for the words that you've brought to us over the weekend and the power with which the, the realities of your truth came, touching our own very hearts and asking us to respond in the directions of your will. This morning, we've gathered again as your church. We came that we may have connection, fellowship, communion, communication with you. Thank you, Lord, for making it a constant way of life and not just a moment. And so this day, O Lord, shall be another moment that you will also work out that which shall be the constancy in our lives. Cause your glory to shine upon us this morning. And let your name alone be glorified. Wherever you are, lift up your voice and give him praise. Worship him. Thank him. If you have a relationship with God, then call him by his names and worship him. If you've caught a covenant with him, exalt him. Call him by his names. I tell you, he deserves your worship more than anything you have to give to him. How can we comprehend your greatness in our feeble frame, in our feeble frame, like the frail children of dust, we come to you to bow our hearts in worship and say you are God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your glory, your power, your supremacy, because you never lived and walked and served in your father's house as a servant, but you rose up to sonship. And became the first among many brethren and brought us into glory. This is a great inheritance, and we worship you. Thank you for, under, for the understanding you've given to our hearts. That the season we are in is a season that we must understand. Cause knowledge to be found within our members, cause wisdom to come upon us. Not as the world can give, but as your word can bring. Thank you, Father. Take absolute control of this moment. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. I thank the Lord for the privilege and the opportunity granted to me by the leadership of this chapel to come and speak to the young people over the weekend and to crown it all in this service it's an opportunity that um, i don't consider light and wouldn't take it for granted we've been dealing with very important issue as was read from the only reading for the day it was a discussion between jesus christ and his disciples and i took time to introduce the the real, the real exposition concerning the matter that Jesus, even though he was speaking to his disciples, 
but in his unique way of presentation of speeches, he speaks, and when he speaks, he transcends time and season. What I was trying to say is that each time you read the words of Jesus Christ in Scripture, you don't just think about that moment. Think about the past, think about the present, think about the future. Because he fills all moments of history and time with meaning. Are you understanding me now? All moments of history and time he fills with, with, with meaning. Everything in his life is reflecting the past, the present, and his future. And he's saying it in one comment. And so the disciples came and asked him, in Matthew 24, and they said to him, Master, can't you see how beautiful this, this temple looks? The stones are well, well carved. The architectural designs is excellent. This is just one of the glories of the Jews, and we are so proud to have such a building in our own land. And Jesus turned to them and said, you see this beautiful house? Not even one stone will be left on top of the other that will not be thrown down. That was a bad news for such a welcoming and for such, a, for, for such an idea that needed a corroboration and a smile, it got a very pungent kind of response. Not even a stone of this building will be left on top of the other. The disciples were worried. Because recently, Jesus had started saying so many tragic things. Talked about his death. Talked about why, how the Son of Man will be crucified. Talked about his, that it, it, unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and die and remains alone, but if it dies and it comes up to bear much fruit. The disciples understood what he was trying to say. He was predicting his death. And they didn't want to hear that. Everybody was sad. And in verse 4 through 5 and 6 of Matthew 24, they came to him in secret and sat down. Say, Master, what kind of thing is this? This whole end, 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 end thing you are telling us. When is it going to be? Can you tell us more about it? And Jesus went ahead and began to tell them of the, of the difficult times and seasons that will emerge. How nations will rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. As a matter of fact, he told everything he told them that day was about disorder, disorder, disorder. He told them about disorder in the natural realms, the sun, the moon, and stars will not even give light. He told them about disorder in the social realm. And he began to talk about the mis misfortunes and attitudes of men that, is that was going to change. And men will begin to live not as men, but as lower, lower than beasts. Wild beasts of the field is what men's lifestyle was going to look like. He went ahead and began to tell them that there will be disorders both in the international realm. There will be disorder in, in family realms. I mean, in Luke, if you go to Luke 21 verse 6, he told them about the disorder in family. Disorder everywhere. And to crown it all, he came back again and began to tell them that even in the spiritual realm, there will be disorder. Chaos everywhere. But when they decided to know about the end, Jesus, in that masterful way of presenting truth that comes in different faces and dimensions that needs only an understanding from the Holy Spirit to really unravel and come to grips with what is on hand, he told them that an end is coming. But when he spoke about the end, he was not referring to just one end. Because simultaneously he was speaking about three different ends at the same time. Three different ends at the same time. He that shall endure till the end. That end he was talking about in Greek is called talos. Talos. He that shall endure to the talos. That talos means three kinds of ends. Number one was the end of the temple for which they boasted so greatly about the strength of the Jews. Number one was, the, the second one was the end of the nation, the Jewish nation, 
the people that was betrayed by God in, in Exodus chapter 19 to become a nation that will become a light to the world and they were coming to an end. And the last end was the apocalyptic end, the eschatological end that will eventually emerge. I told the youth that from that moment, Jesus finished speaking in Matthew 24, the mystery and the event of the end started immediately. As a matter of fact, it started with him. The chaos began with him. Within that same week, he was arrested on trumped up charges that were baseless and could not be verified. The people began to victimize him. At the end of the day, a rented mob came together and announced a criminal to become the one desired and preferred to a man that is passionately consumed with vision to save entire human race. Pilate on the other side began to show us a color that nobody could understand. Came out of the public and washed his hands in innocence and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. Don't worry quick for me. I'm innocent and washed his hands. But went into the house and signed his death warrant. Because in the time of the Roman, Roman government, nobody had the right to take any man for execution, especially when the penalty for any criminal offense is murder. You can't do it without the document signed by the Roman officials. So if Pilate has washed his hands in innocence, how then could the Jews be able to take Jesus and crucify? And in the mystery of these things, we began to see the principle of the end. The things that will happen that will begin to show the end. That number one, just as it happened in the life of Christ, it also will reflect in the end. That people will be so hypocritical that they come out in public wash their hands in innocence and have the innocent facade and innocent presentation but behind the curtain they are derelicts. Terrible. And one whose life deserves to be pitied. Jesus Christ in his experience and the disciples in their experience I took time to tell the youths that if you want to understand the events of the end time it is not too difficult to, to fetch we won't go into the current events in prophecy happening now in our world to prove that we are in the end times. Those ones are obvious. It is just a simple principle you need to bring out to understand that we are at the end. And the principles we are all clearly shown in scripture. In history of the church, you could see the principles. And we were concerned about the end because unless you understand the sophistry, unless you understand how the technology and the manipulation and the conspiracy of the end operates. You will not survive it. Until you come up with that world view. That is guarded by grace. And by the cross. To confront the ideologies of the end. Forget the religiosities. Forget the ceremony. Forget the Sunday services. And the, the holiness looking forms. Where you walk. In your offices. You will become a counterfeit of the faith you profess. Because we are in the end. And that's what we are seeing everywhere. Or am I making a mistake? You become a counterfeit of the very faith you profess. And that has become the pain in the heart of God. That sometimes I even imagine that angels will even cry when they are recording the deeds of some men on earth. How horrible it can be. We saw the problem of hypocrisy which, was, which will mark the end can I not say that just as it was in the days of Christ, in several fold and dimensions over, we are seeing hypocrisy in the highest dimensions now. 
Am I right? Am I right? In church, we are seeing it. In government and in politics, we are seeing the highest form of it. Now, all over, all over, all over the horizon, where truth is constantly being, truth is constantly being shoved underneath the scaffold. And, and, and falsehood, falsehood and evil seems to triumph. And in the celebratory noise of those triumph, you see that the walls of integrity and truth is crashing down. And war, the world is still going on. And sometimes you even see victims and perpetrators of this truth celebrated. And you begin to wonder, where is the world heading to? We're in the end time. It is the end. It is the end. And so we began to see that as it happened in the time of Jesus Christ, through history, that a people came who didn't understand the implication of their decision. They had no idea that their decision was going to fulfill an eternal prophecy. Can I tell you something? Everything you do, whether consciously or unconsciously, ignorantly or, or with your knowledge fully known, you are fulfilling an aspect of prophecy. Look at your friend. Tell him you are fulfilling an aspect of prophecy. As we are all seated, hear me church and hear me clearly. Every one of us is fulfilling an aspect of prophecy. It is either the negative aspect of prophecy or the positive aspect of prophecy. The Bible said, Woe betide that one from whom these little ones will fall. Somebody is going to fulfill it. Somebody is going to become that seed. Someone is going to become that evil. Someone is going to become that deception by which the little ones are going to fall. Who is going to fulfill it? Many are already in the fulfillment pathway. And that's why Jesus Christ lamented and said to them, everything they tried to do, he gave them another side of the story. And it was a tragedy. It was really a tragedy. And his heart was heavy. It was heavy. Scripture made it clear. That the people unanimously raised their hands and elected a criminal. I mean, they raised their hands unanimously and agreed to falsehood. They raised their hands unanimously and said, evil is what we want. And let the good perish. And I was wondering, should we point at them and say, you people that crucified the, the, the king of glory. No, stop pointing at them. Our generation is worst. Our generation is more terrible. Haven't you seen how we celebrate evil and seem to oppress and suppress the fruits? I was talking to the youths and I asked them, even in our own world, who were praying today for parents and were really praying and a burden came upon my heart at the altar. My prayer went beyond praying for the parents. Because I can't explain it. I don't understand it. Some parents have done all they can do to make their children live right. With all the teachings of scripture, all the prayers, all the morning devotions. Yet, the children still go wrong. What explanation do you have for that? The explanation is very simple. We are living in a time and age that is considered and regarded as post-modern. Post-modern. Post-modern era. That's the era we are in now. And this is the final era. As scholars and teachers of the word said. And this is the era that the world is going to leave. And come to the despair and weakness of it. And become full of themselves. And get tired. In this era. 
What are the things that mark the postmodern systems? Very, very simple. It's the era of freedom. You hear the things like freedom. You hear things like liberty. Somebody say liberty. I can't hear you. Somebody say liberty. Yeah, you hear things like freedom. Liberty. You hear things like rights. Rights. You know, my rights. Fundamental rights. Drive. That's, that's, that's what marks the season. It sounds good, but it brings everything to a crashing, crashing situation. I know that the postmodern system is a relativistic kind of system where observations and thoughts denied absolutes and objectivity and begin to, to delve with dimensions and perspectives of truth. What am I trying to say? It is a time when truth cannot be any longer objective, rather subjective. That is, it depends on the way you see it. So that, for you, it may be wrong. But for me, I don't think it is wrong. That's the world we are living in now. Am I right? Am I right? So, the objectivity and absolute nature of truth has been jettisoned. And everything has come to be defined and qualified. I mean, things are dying the death of a thousand qualifications in the process. Everybody has a way of approaching any matter. And the standards of life has been thrown away. So that when you begin to ask, what is the standard for relationship? People don't know any longer. You see the cacophony of sound noise. We no longer know what is right or wrong. What's the standard for ethics? We no longer know. Because if we know that which we do, even in our working places and in our practice, we show that you still recognize that there is a standard. But now, when we have fallen back and forth, sideways and forward and backwards to every direction, who is going to define what the right direction is? I told young people yesterday that mathematics has also taught us that truth is one. Because he said that there are many angles to which you can fall. But there is only one angle to which you can stand upright. And that angle is called the right. Right. That's mathematics. And how is right angle? It's vertical and right. It's 90 degrees. That's the only angle that can stand upright. Every other angle you try is an angle you will fall. And so, postmodern system is trying out life on several angles. Neglecting the right angle. And I tell you, in life, listen to me carefully, church. In life, certain things must remain absolute. For there to be order in life, some things must remain unchanging. For there to be organization in the systems of living, certain things must remain unchanging. And it's from, it is from that unchanging point of reference that anything possible can be defined. If there was no zero, there cannot be mathematics. It won't hold. Do you agree with me? Yes, zero is the absolute. Anything you do in your mathematics system, anything you do in your calculation, no matter what, you run and come to a conclusion and say your answer is seven. Seven is correct because you are taking reference from a, from a zero point. Am I right? But the system we are in now has no reference points. Anything can become your reference. So, if we decide to bring that into science, science will fail. Because we will no longer have a reference point. Anything can become the reference. So, you do your calculation and bring it to the lecturer, and you say your answer is seven. He will say, no, you failed it. Because his reference point is not zero. You are calculating based on zero reference point. He is calculating based on reference point five. 
So based on reference point five, his own answer is two. Are you understanding the analogy I'm trying to paint for you? Are you understanding it? And so because there is no absolute, everything is confused. What am I trying to say? God is the only unchanging absolute. And if creation must come back to order, we must do everything taking reference from the principles and, and patterns of God. And I tell you, until creation comes to this reality, there is no amount of economic intelligence. It's no amount of scientific advancement. It's no amount of systems you employ in this world that can bring the world out of the problems of, of, that she's facing. The daunting challenges of our time, there's no solution. God is the unchanging absolute. But the problem with our creation is that man and humanity has chosen in subtle ways to forsake God. Although we have the forms of the religion, but we deny the power thereof. This was what Jesus Christ was telling them that we're going to see at the end time. That was what we're going to see. And I looked at the systems and I began to understand that today what we no longer know and what we no longer understand is challenging the people. And he began to tell us about enduring till the end. He that shall endure till the end. He that shall endure till the end. That word endurance, we try to break it up from the words of Jesus Christ. In the language with which he rendered the word endurance. English called it endure. But in the language which Jesus Christ rendered it, it's like, it's like a concept with seven different meanings. And we took time to break it for the youth. That enduring till the end means... Number one, distinguishing yourself from the system. You can't say you are enduring this godless system, whereas the, the, the homogenization and the globalization seem to have sucked you in. And there, there, there is no clear difference between a worldly man and a Christian young man. There's no clear difference between that, that lady that has never encountered Christ and the one that has known Christ. Do you now find out that when the whole when we gather together now, society together, you could clearly distinguish those who are Christians and those who are unbelievers? Are you aware of that? Am I right? It's difficult to distinguish because the homogenization is becoming stronger and stronger. The way we appear and the way you look is not different from the way they look. The things you say and how you say them is not even different from the way they talk. I mean, the things you do in practice for the very responsibility that were given to you is no way different from what the one outside the boundaries of the faith still does. What then shall distinguish you? Then Jesus Christ began to tell the disciples and said, unless you are distinguished in this system till the end, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. Sometimes I look at Christians and I look at our society and I wonder in my heart, where are we going with all of this? The body is becoming stronger and stronger. The young people stay but now, they have thousands upon thousands of innumerable companies, innumerable companies of attendees and, and, and brethren and, and, and whatever you can call it, visiting and attending to us now as the young generation. Because we are no longer living at home. We live in the cyberspace. And in cyberspace is a world of its own. Having many friends around which you can't even censor. 
to know if they are right or wrong. Do you agree with me? Most of you looking at me now, you think you still have a hold on your children. They are all in the cyberspace. And within the eight, nine, ten hour days that you keep, if you don't raise your children, television will raise them. If you don't raise your children, the internet will raise them. If you don't raise your children, the humanistic and secularistic media will raise them. And at the end of the day, you will wonder that they can argue one thing, but don't even know what they believe in. The greatest move now on earth that is sweeping across the youths, both overseas and now, fearfully, it has, it, start, it has started invading Africa. It started overseas and we thought it would not get here. It's the New Age movement. The New Age movement. A situation whereby you embrace the biblical Christianity devoid of the biblical Christ. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? A system whereby you embrace the biblical Christianity devoid of the biblical Christ. They have apostles and ambassadors who are pushing it. People like Oprah Winfrey. People like Kenya West. The youth will know these ones I'm talking about. They are pushing it forward. That is, you can have certain form of godliness, you can have certain form of righteousness, and you can be such a noble person, good, philanthropic, you know, philanthropic, and, and, dull, and I mean, you do certain things that will, will, will enhance the socioeconomic status of a people. And you can even come and become such like, in quote, a blessing to society. And oh, as beautiful as that looks, that is what brings you to the knowledge of Christ. But behind the seeming beauty of that which has been packaged is philosophical destructions. I encountered one of them. And when I began to see the kind of things they teach overseas, I began to pray for many of our children who are even overseas studying. Because that's one of the places that the destruction of faith is going on strongly in the academia, in the lecture rooms. I mean, the destruction of the faith is going on. We thought it would not get here, but now it's already with us. The destruction of faith is going on. They tell you that your Christianity is in private, that it is a secularistic system. So, practice your religion in private and don't bring it into a public function. Even in Nigeria here, they tell us that. Ah, these things are, keep religious sentiments aside. Keep religious out. No, and when they say keep religious sentiments aside, what they're telling you is to keep your spirituality aside. Let's talk. If you keep your spirituality aside, what other argument do you have? What other argument do you have? You say, put the sentiment aside. Let's play politics. This is politics. What are you playing? You are playing politics. Then you keep your, 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 your convictions aside. And then you do things that are horrible and say it's politically correct. Have you not heard the language politically correct? I met a man and I asked him, a learned man, and I said, please, help me, I'm just a growing priest. What do you mean by political correctness? And he began to teach me something. Then he told me, and gave, I mean, he gave me a booklet and I saw, and I read about a man who was giving comments, and in a conversation and an interview, he said, for me, I don't seem to agree, I don't, I'm not convinced about the opinion, but politically it is correct. Based on my faith, I seem not to agree with it. But politically, it is correct. So let's go on. And I found out that it is a system where you can do something else in the public and choose to become your Christian and, and practice your conviction in the private. That's the kind of system that Jesus Christ said he was emerging. It's a system that was emerging. And he told the disciples, he that can distinguish himself from this system and remain in it, Go through it. Go through it. Confront it. Because the word endure, we took time to explain them. The word endure means stand different. Distinguish yourself from the system. 
Go through the system unspoiled. Go through the system unspoiled. What do I mean? Come into the system and by the time you are through with your service, come out with your faith still intact. How many brethren have, have we lost in the faith? Just because God gave you a breakthrough of one office and position to occupy. And your faith is lost. How many have we lost? On the ground of a testimony that should have advanced the church. It turned around and became a destruction. And at times you look and wish that one never even came into a position. Each time we cry about the problem of evil, the problem of evil, the problem of pain, the problem of pain. But have you taken time to wonder that there is another bigger problem called the problem of pleasure? Because when a man decides to pursue that which is pleasurable and makes it a center of his pursuit, relationship with God and man is automatically broken. Because he becomes everything that has to do with continuous reception and never wanting to give out. And it becomes a destruction to the faith. Pleasure, I have found out, is even more destructive than pain. Yes, more destructive than pain. Because I heard the great and wise one, Solomon. He spoke in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said some very, some very poignant things. And I was wondering, studying about it. And he said, let us, let us, let us try out pleasure. Can somebody come with so many quantities of pleasure? And he began to talk about his testimonies. How he broke through in, 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 having, in, in so many pleasures. He sought for all kinds of pleasures and had them. He gave his testimonies of his excessive possessions, which he had them. He gave his testimonies. I mean, he spoke in Ecclesiastes and came to verse 11 and said, but all these things are also looked again and discovered that they are vanity. They are vanity. It was in Proverbs he said, a little honey is enough for you. Take too much of it and you'll be running, your stomach will be running. I paraphrased it. But that's what it is in scripture. A little honey is just enough. Too much of it, you're in trouble. What he was trying to say is that as a Christian in life, there must be balance. And so what do we have to say about pleasure? Pleasure is a sensitive thing. Pleasure is a sensitive thing. It's a sensitive thing. Jesus Christ taught them. And we began to learn. that we found out. It has become clear. Very, very clear. That people have the tendency to grow in virtue in the face of adversity and in the face of pleasure. And pleasure, no matter how you get it, you pay for it. If it is legitimate pleasure, you will pay for it before you get it. If it is illicit pleasure, you will pay after you have gotten it. Yes. You pay after you've gotten it. Many today have sat, you know, sometimes I look and I, began to pray, I begin to pray for myself. Jesus Christ told them, Things are going to turn around. And every one of them will be sought for to be killed. It wasn't long they crucified him. The Jews saw that the crucifixion of Christ was something to be celebrated. The disciples were shocked. It was soon in the book of Acts of the Apostles. Barely a few years after his crucifixion. Herod had captured James. 
and has killed him. And the Bible said it pleased the Jews. Herod is a Jewish representative under the Roman government. He was not a Roman. It's like a colonial system. When you invade the people, then you take from among them to rule them. So you divide the people by raising a rulership, rulership among their own people to torment and oppress their own people. So Herod was a Jewish man who went on to seize his fellow brother and killed him. And he found out that the people celebrated. He went on to seize Peter. But the church rose up, choosing not to resign to faith. Started praying storming prayers. Yes, I found out. That in this end time, if we must stand as a church, then we must become a praying church. That prays storming prayer. It's not, it's, not this, it's, not, it's not civilized prayer. There's nothing like civilization in prayer. You pray. The Bible said that in Jesus' ministry on earth, there are times he prayed with loud cries. Loud cries and shouted to him that he's able to save his soul from death. Sometimes he came to the, to the tomb and he wept. Wept sore and he lifted up his, his voice in prayer. Constantly he, he traveled in the place of prayer. Ultimately, even at the point... Of the submission of his will. The Bible said he traveled until the sweat that was coming out of his body. Became drops of blood. That's the level of traveling in prayer. And that's the kind of altar that God is calling his church back to. Are you an engineer? You are also given the ministry of prayer. Are you a medical doctor? You also carry the ministry of prayer. Are you a civil servant? You carry the ministry of prayer. Prayer is not something for one group of people in church. No, it's not for something for one person. No. It's the assignment that the Lord, the Lord has given to his end time church. If they had resigned to faith, Peter would be slaughtered. And none would rescue him. But they rose up and began to pray. But the surprising thing about their torment and their affliction and their persecution was that it was their fellow brethren that went on to the Roman government and kept on telling the Roman government about them. So that they were hunted one after another and were being killed. Their own brethren. And they didn't, they quickly remember that Jesus warned them in Matthew, in chapter 10, where he told them that the enemy of a man will rise from amidst his own household. That the enemy of a man is going to rise from among his own brethren. And sometimes we begin to wonder, how is this fulfilled in our time? Yes, it is fulfilled. Because to every great challenge I see young people facing in the faith. Destruction that is going on. Both at family levels, at youth level. Everything seems to be rising from within and from around us. From within and from around us. It's either in the same fellowship, or in the same band group, or in the same this, or in the same that. You see the anarchy. You see, you see the anarchy, the chaos is going on. These are the truths that must be said this morning. That's the situation Jesus was describing. And while he spoke to his disciples, he told them that things as such will mark the end. Brethren will begin to betray one another. The betrayal will become so, so palpable that you will wonder why it is so obvious yet ignored. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? So palpable that you wonder why it has become so obvious yet ignored. Look into our governments. You see the things going on. Look into our systems. Look into, our, into the systems of our nations. Look at our health system. You know that there is trouble. Nigeria is ranking 187 out of 191 nations 
in health status performance, in health performance globally, according to the report given by WHO in 2000. The MDGs 4 and 5, we couldn't even achieve and it was gone. Now we are the SDG to expire 2020. We are not even anywhere near to achieving anything. Yet, the country is blessed. And God has given us a place where we can flourish. But something seems to be wrong. It's not wealth. It's not resources. It is that the kind of people that the Lord will place to become rescuers of broken destinies and destroyed worlds will only enter there and forget their mission. Let's go there and forget their mission. Why would we not pray? As a growing, as a growing youth, as a growing child, under my own training and under the area for which I work, I have looked sometimes into the systems and I say, how could this be in a system, in a teaching hospital? How could this be possible? And we are here. And somebody is telling me that it is the way it is done. No, there's falsehood somewhere that has been enthroned. And truth is not, it's not, it has refused to be told. One of the one of the heartbreaks that 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 sent me into some kind of surprise, and I was praying, and I was, you know, and you look at the system, lives are going. You ask a question: ordinary ventilator, ventilator is not available in a very large establishment, a, as simple as a ventilator. It's not a question of of what is not available. With the level we are and what is on ground, it is to count how many do we have. But such as basic and as fundamental as that is not available and the system is running. And somebody is to be celebrated. And when you talk, they, you know, they bring a well-prepared address and begin to make things look like all is well. When we know that the decay is strongly going on on the underneath, am I lying, church? Am I lying, church? When else can the truth emerge? We are that generation. Jesus began to tell the disciple, if you must endure, one of the reasons and one of the meanings of the word endure is to rise and confront that which is wrong. Don't let it prevail in the place of your work. Don't let it prevail where you walk. Don't let it, don't say something. Don't be too careful about preserving your life for they that have tried to preserve their life lost it. And those who choose to lose it for the sake of Christ preserved it. It may not, the, the, the analogy may not sound meaningful to your hair, but it tells us that if you don't lose it, your next generation will lose it. And it's affecting everybody. The persecution was intense. It wasn't long. All kinds of leaders rose up. All kinds of leaders rose up. And one of the things we saw about them was that they began to, to, to introduce what is called emperor worship. Emperor worship was one of the challenges that Christianity faced soon after the prophecy of Christ. The first end, before the temple was destroyed, they faced such kind of challenge. Emperor worship is worship of man. Because of the glory and the wealth and the positions of man, man became an object of worship. So certain people will come and demand worship from their fellow men. And because the Christians were like, no, this is not God. We worship Christ. They became, the, the persecution got intensified. On one occasion, one of the emperors came up in order to desecrate the temple because Jesus Christ warned them. Two verses after verse 13, you will see Jesus telling them that one of the things that will happen in the end time is that you will see abomination that causes desolation as spoken by prophet Daniel set up in the holy place. And he said, when thought is seen around you, let the reader understand. 
Let the reader understand. That abomination that causes desolation was graphically fulfilled. That prophecy was physically and graphically fulfilled. Not more than 40 years after Jesus Christ died. That the, the emperor rose and demanded that one of the elders of the Jewish high priest, the oldest among them, should come with a swine and sacrifice a swine at the altar. You know, based on their tradition. That was, the, that was an abomination. And they revolted. And the elderly man said, for me to sacrifice this swine, I voluntarily give my life. Slaughter me and let me die rather than do these things that is evil before the Lord. And I found out that that's the kind of men that will be raised in this end time to endure this. People that will rather die than break the principles of the, of, of the kingdom. I pray you will be one of them. I didn't hear your amen. amen. I pray you will be one of them. People that will rather die. I rather lose my job. I rather lose everything than bring. It doesn't matter. That's the kind of people that God may, be, may need to raise at this end time. Are we waiting to see His manifestation? Yes, He can. God can. I'm sure. I know what I mean. He can. Until the temple fell, the Jewish thought it was the end that Jesus was talking about. Until the compromise came. The compromise came and the temple and the church and state was united. And the, and the history continued. I'm telling you how it went. History upon history. The same thing were repeating itself. Repeating itself. History was repeating itself until our present day. And the same principles are repeating itself. Immediately the compromise came. The next arrow that hit the church was heresy. Heresy. Brethren. Are you not witnesses with me of the heretic teachings that is flying around the church now? Are they not many? All over the air. Heretic teachings. The one that is troubling me now is the one that is taking many of our youths away from our parents. And that is the hyper grace teachers. Have you, ever, have you come across that, that term before? Have you ever come across those kind of... Okay, the hyper grace movement. It's a strong movement now. And the movement is so strong that it was Irenaeus, the church father, that said that truth is never presented in its awful states. No, that it's always decked and dressed in beauty. So that the inexperience, as ridiculous as truth will be, will assume that heresy is more truthful than truth itself. So what is the deception there? I was watching a television in my house. I was watching a pastor speak. And he's a notable one. Many young people look up to. With all the moves of the season. I mean, you can't come into campuses and begin to talk about lists of preferred preachers or preferred mentors or preferred teachers among the youths. And before you get Five to six to seven persons in that list, if you do a statistical study, that name must figure among them. But the kind of heretic teachings this man had dealt with, the church is becoming too strong. And many of our youths are running and catching it. One of the greatest church now that is moving, the New Age Church. Yes, both in the US and in the UK. I know about them. 
is the largest church now in the globe. It's larger than Yongito's church. Larger than any church you can think of. It's very large. It's a church that has more than 3 million members. 2008, they conducted their first mass trust. And what gathered was more than 3 million. What were their teachings? Very terrible philosophies. Very terrible theologies. Very terrible teachings. Who you are require no belief. These are seven foundation pillars with which they are moving. Who you are requires no belief. Is that possible? Who you are requires no belief. And when you bring down this philosophy to, 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 to the table, what it means is this motivational movement. Believe in yourself and all that. The confidence, the you in you is capable of everything in you. It's okay. I agree in self-motivation. I agree in, in having self-confidence. But there's a crassness to that, that ideology that makes a man put his God aside and believe that outside of God that you can fulfill destiny. Let me tell you the truth. Outside of Christ, I know of no other hope for humanity. Who you are requires no belief. They say that heaven is not a location. That it's an inner realm of consciousness. Did you hear that? Heaven is not a location. It's an inner realm of consciousness. You think it's, it's, too, it's, you, you think it's too bad to believe? No, it's already operational among our youths. I work with young people constantly and regularly. What they mean is this. If you feel good, then you are in heaven. Okay? If you have a nice building, nice environment, nice everything, and you feel heavenly, then you are in heaven. And they went on to start saying things. These things are not hidden. They are there. They are assessing it. Who you are requires no belief. Over, three, over 300,000. Now they are reaching about 2 million. Young people. Who you are requires no belief. Heaven is not a location. It is an inner realm of consciousness. The man on the cross is an archetypal image. is every man and every woman. Their leadership website teaches this. I will explain them to you. My mind is part of God. I am very holy. I will explain these things. My holiness is my salvation. Horribly, my salvation comes from me. Let me remember that there is no sin. Do not make the pathetic error of clinging to quotes. Clinging to the old rugged cross. It's a pathetic error. Clinging to the old rugged cross. I will tell you something about them. The only message about crucifixion is that you can overcome the cross. That you can overcome adversity. So stay strong. You will overcome it. That's what they teach. This was a video I got from their US activity. And I took it and I kept. But what am I trying to say? There is a doctrine of postmodernism and civilization that is being released. And let me interpret these things. Number one, that who you are requires no belief. They teach it on our, to our children in high institutions. They teach it to them. I mean, in, 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 in high intellect and standards of learning. But who you are, I want to categorically say, requires a belief system. Yes. Every Sunday we stand here and we say it and repeat it and it cannot change. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in who again? His only son, our God, who was conceived by the born of virgin. We, we, see, we, we say the realities of the cross and come again. I believe in who again? The Holy Spirit. Then we believe in the unity of the Godhead in the church, the Catholicos. 
Now they tell you who you are. The choir not believe. Heaven is not a, it's not a place. It's an inner realm of consciousness. The man on the cross is an archetypal image. He's every man and every woman. That is, Jesus is just a man. Don't see him as one. The deity of Christ is being challenged. And today you hear scholars say things that even challenge the deities of Christ. And that is why now, young people are coming up with anything that they feel in their hearts is correct. Society is celebrating, society is celebrating immorality and is calling it culture and entertainment. Are you not seeing it? Are you not seeing it? Obvious fields, I mean fields in the highest order. We pay heavily for it and call it entertainment. It's, break, it's heartbreaking. And even some of us, you don't know that the, the, the conspiracy is very strong. Unless we say, Lord, open my eyes to see this. You won't know that you are given into the conspiracy. Because I found out that greater destructions that is being done to our children are not done outside, but they are done in the house. Because the enemy has brought the world into our homes. And when you, for example, when you pay and you subscribe for all the numerous channels and multitude of channels in your house. Am I, are you understand what I'm trying to say now? You paid for it, right? You paid. And those numerous channels, you don't know the philosophy that they are passing across into your children. And gradually they are, they are bringing them to a tolerating generation. A tolerating generation. Hear me. Whatever you tolerate today, tomorrow you will embrace it. Do you agree with me? Do you agree with me? Gradually we are being washed down to a tolerating generation. I've read a lot about this, the movie stars. I've read a lot about media industry. I've done some studies about, about the technicalities of, this, of the age of this. It's mind game. It's mind game in a world of images. They go through the back door of reasoning and enter into our imagination and begin to reprogram your way of thoughts. And before you know it, our culture is changing and nobody is really practically doing any change. You just see that it is changing. How is it coming to pass? You can't tell. It is through this sophistication. That was what Jesus was telling them. It was after this movement began that we started having some strange, some strange, some strange kind of things we see now on the earth. Strange things. Where people come to transform themselves. You hear of the movements, gay movements. You hear of all kinds of things being asked for rights. And you'll be wondering, what the hell is this that they are asking for rights? Who even, who even gave them the audacity? When did, when did ugly thing become so bold that it's demanding for a right? Are you understand what I'm trying to say? Something that shouldn't even come, come to, to conversation is demanding for rights. That's the generation we are in. And these are the things to endure. I looked at the situation. And I began to pray. Knowing that Jesus Christ said, He that shall endure to the end. That is to say, that in the midst of this all, some will still prevail. I pray you will be among them. In the midst of this, can I tell you something? Some will still prevail. Jesus said it. It will happen. And my prayer is that you will be part of those that will fulfill that prophecy that men will still prevail. It may not come in the way you think it, but the grace of God will take men along. I read of a man who became so powerful in history. His name is Gaius the Caligula. He is an emperor. 
And he said that before his death, that Christianity will be wiped out. Yes, and he was so strong and passionate in fulfilling that agenda. He ran with every strength and zeal in him, annihilating Christians everywhere he found them. But on his deathbed, few hours before he gave up, his heart was broken because Christianity was still advancing strongly over the nations. And in the sadness of his heart, he cried out in Latin, Visingsti Galileo, Visingsti Galileo, with that shout he died. What does it mean? You have prevailed, O man of Galilee. You have prevailed, O man of Galilee. And when he died, they wrote it on his gravestone up to today. Visingsti Galileo. You say you want to you want to bury Christ, you will preach his gospel eventually. It gives me the it gives me the confidence that men will still prevail. He that shall endure till the end. He that shall endure till the end. There are those that will prevail. And I pray for you, church. In the midst of the challenges of faith, you will prevail. You will prevail. It is difficult to stand in this our season. In the context of our season now, it's difficult. Every week, I have opportunity of sitting with young people, especially university undergraduates. I can hardly talk with four or five, especially the female folks, that two of them or one at least will not tell me that a lecturer is insisting on having canal knowledge with her before she can break through in one little course. One of the, one of the faculties have become so notorious for it in, in UNN that we now know them. It is, they are so notorious for this. And I called one of the lecturers and I asked him, is this what your faculty is doing? How can parents send their children to be mentored by you and you are the one destroying them? The Bible says, woe to him that will cause these little ones to fall. It will be better than a millstone is tied around your neck and you are cast into the bottom of the sea. And he looked at me and said, man of God, you see, that is the system. I'm going to go get me. I said, no, I'm going to get me. You that is born again in that place, how, how strong have you spoken in the system? Because you feel that maybe when you rise up to make an open defense of this and in an open comprehension of this, it becomes the greatest problem for your working system. I know. They are going to make things difficult for you. Because that's the system we run. It is the guilty that becomes the victim. And not the perpetrator of the crime. So the one that is victimized is the one that is guilty. The perpetrator of the crime is innocent. Is it not the system we see everywhere? I'm asking a question. Is it not the system? Yes. The perpetrator of the crime is innocent. The one that is guilty is the one that is a victim of it. And you are wondering, how are we going to go through this system? Jesus said that many will still prevail. That's the high point of my message this morning. That in the midst of this all, many will still prevail. Those that will confront it, those that will not be changed by it, those that will go through it, those that will be distinguished from it, and those that will be different from it. Today, we can hardly attend wedding receptions again as a priest. It's difficult. Very, very difficult. Because what goes on there is so confusing. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Are you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Please. As I round up and we begin to pray. Can I tell you, church, that you, unless you begin to see 
and view your life through the eye of the eternal one. Unless you begin to understand the society around you through the eyes of God, you cannot define what is right and what is wrong. You can't define it. You cannot define it. I was telling the young people, that was yesterday, of the mysteries of the devil in deceiving the youths. And I told them that the devil is even a sincere devil. Sometimes he's honest. He tells you the truth of what he's doing. Some of the things he, he produces and makes us use. I was telling them about, about, about some of the horrible things I see ladies do. I was in a meeting and it was like a wedding reception. That was in Lagos some years back. And I just went, I saw, it was, it was an extreme of everything. The modesty was not there. The moderation was no more there. Everybody has his own definition of moderation now. My own definition of moderation may be different from yours. Green on her lips. She, I, don't, I'm not, I, I don't care about looking good. You can look as good as you want to look. Beautiful. God bless you in Jesus' name. But when you look good, be careful. So that your looking good does not become a stumbling block to the gospel. Green on the lips. I was like, this is not natural. It's never a natural human color. What is all this about? I boldly walked up to the sister and I said, Sister, this is your wedding day. Why are you painted? Why are you putting green on your lips? And boldly, I thought she would be remorseful. She boldly smiled. He's the color of the day. And I said, What? Has he come to this point? That whatever is the color of the day becomes the, the things you, are, you put up on the body. Has he come to that point? Then they bring building materials. And keep on applying. Building material. You know what's called a building material? This building material they use for screening. You know that they screen faces now? You, they screen the face. Screen. I was calling it screen, screening until a daughter said, that is not screening, it's called concealer. I said, this is even more dangerous. What are you concealing? In the kingdom of God, nothing is concealed. God is revealing, the devil is concealing. He has told you that he is concealing. And anything that is ephemeral, anything that is temporal, anything that has no eternal value cannot stand the test of time. Allow the Holy Spirit to define for you what is virtue. Are you listening to me this morning? Allow him to define virtue for you. Look good, I'm not against it. Please. Please, look good. But let the Holy Spirit define the boundaries for you. You can't play with the devil and set the boundaries. No, you can't win him on his own ground. Many will prevail. Are you in that number? Finally, this is the age and time that God, that Christ is calling for the forceful advancement of the gospel. One thing that characterized all the ends that we have seen. Can I say something? One thing that characterized the ends we studied in history was that towards the approach of every end, the move of the gospel became stronger. In the time of the apostles, they were killing them by the sword, burning them by the stake. The gospel was advancing. Through the history of the church in the Reformation, the battle was so strong against the church as if the church would be extinct in the next hour. The gospel by men was advancing. In the break and the wake of, of revival in Africa, before it came, it looked like it was a dark continent that nothing good will come in. Men like David Livingstone, who was, who was publicly called the David Livingstone of Africa, a medical doctor that came to break through Africa. When he came in, 
They told him, Africa is not a place to go. Successful man, I know him. I read about him. His biography was, was transforming. From a home, his father would kneel, would put him down on his knees and read to him the great breakthroughs of the gospel and how souls were won into the kingdom. And he would tell him, Livingstone, my son, you will preach the gospel. And the young man turned and told his father, I will also want to be like you. One that has preached the gospel all over the nations and have won many souls for Christ. He became a medical doctor eventually, successful in Cambridge, and he was born in Blantyre, Scotland. He became successful, wealthy. One morning, under the influence of God, preaching all over the place, in the hospitals, in clinics, he became an ambassador of the faith. By his lifestyle and by his word, the gospel is heard. I pray that you will receive utterance in the name of Jesus. Everything that has silenced you that you cannot know, you will no longer, you can't, you can't represent the faith any longer. Receive utterance in the name of Jesus. Wherever you are, the gospel should be heard. Yes, it should be heard. It doesn't change your profession. It doesn't change your personality. It doesn't change your status. It is a responsibility for all. It's a great commission. It's a sign for the end. He came into Africa. And that morning he turned into his family and said, The haunting specter of a smoke of a thousand villages of the, bo- of the morning sun is burning within my heart. The haunting specter of a smoke of a thousand villages in the city of the morning sun burns within my heart. And they asked him, what do you mean by that? He said, I see Africa. The smokes from the villages of Africa. It seems to be burning in my heart. And so he left. And they told him, this is a continent that when you cross, if you cross the, if you cross the Mediterranean, you are finished. He came in, preached the gospel. In his first entrance, like I remembered, I will round up with this story, I will begin to pray. In his first entrance, I remembered, he stayed Left his family. Not for one month. Not for five months. Not for five weeks. Five years. I don't understand it. I am not justifying it. I just, I'm just saying, look at what God has done in the life of a man. Because sometimes I can't even stay away. No, 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 no. It's not possible. It's difficult to even stay away. But here is a man whose life, I don't know how God has gone this far with him. Five years away. In a jungle. Bringing Christ to a people who are cannibals. Who are animists. In his journey for the faith, on one occasion, he had a lion, a lion tear part of his jo- of his shoulders, and he was limping. He had walked into a branch that has completely marred one of his eyes. And when he came back, five years later, everybody stood to celebrate him. Such a great champion for the faith has returned. And they are just looking. How could this be? A few weeks later, he woke up again and repeated the same statement. The haunting specter of a smoke of a thousand villages of the morning sun. Is burning within my heart. I'm going back to Africa. He came back. The wife discussed with her, another medical doctor. She said, yes. Let's make the money and send to you and later we'll come to join you. The woman later joined her as they set up some medical missions in Africa. Few weeks after she joined her, this man was burying the wife in African soil. She contracted malaria and died. Few weeks after, was burying the wife in the African soil. Lowering the wife in that grave, he knelt down after the grave had been closed and everybody had left him. And he said, My Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, my all, I again consecrate my life to you. Sever me from every tie that will bind me so closely to the things of materials of this world. And put, me my, put my faith focused only but for the thing which your mission has called me for. And he got up and left. He became sick. He became sick in the process. Somebody has played a cruel joke on him and taken away his medication. So he was sick and there was no medication. He prayed earnestly on one occasion 
fell on the road and couldn't get up and was spreading the gospel. For the first time, he saw two feet planted by his eyes and he lifted up his, his face, looking at the two feet and staring to the face. He saw that for the first time, a white man was standing before him. And he said, Livingstone, I presume. He said, yes, I am Livingstone. He said, my name is Stanley Jones. I was sent to come and do a report about you. I'm a journalist. But I'd like you to know two things. Number one, I am the biggest smuggling atheist on the face of the earth. So don't try to convert me. I will just do my job, video you, record, write your biography and go. Don't even try to preach to me. Number two, somebody sent you a medication. <laughs> Livingstone said, please, give me my medication. Collected the drugs and took Two weeks later, the atheist was kneeling down in the African soil, receiving Jesus Christ. And he turned to him and said, this Christ life I saw in Livingstone was too strong. I couldn't stay out. I had to bottle in. That was the way he said it. Christ life. He couldn't stay out. Too strong. One of the, the effects of endurance is influence. Carrying an influence of Christ wherever you enter. I pray for you. May you carry the influence of Christ anywhere you go. I mean, may you carry his influence anywhere you enter. No environment is secular. Hear me, church. Don't be deceived. No environment is secular. Are you listening to me? Yes, because that place you call secular, demons are still operating there. Is it still secular? That place you call secular, occultic men have gone to, to invite occultic powers and are operating there. Is it still secular? Don't think an environment is secular. Stay strong in your faith and become a representation of the, of the kingdom. And that's what, that's what brings you joy. Rise upon your feet. Are you here and it's clear in your heart that you are struggling in this faith we're talking about? Wherever you are, you can talk to God. You can talk to God. This man preached the gospel until he came to his dying point. They took him by the stretchers. And brought him home. Master, you are too sick to continue preaching. Please go home. He carried him and brought him home. And he begged them. He asked for a favor. He said, please help me to my knees. Let me pray before I lie down. They helped him to his knees and he knelt. Clashed his hands together. And began to pray. Prayed for one hour. Two hours. Three hours protracted period of time he was praying and the friends came and said no this is too long for him to pray he's too sick to be on his knees this morning so they came back into the room to beg him to stop praying and the african brother who was his his sofa tapped him guana master master and living stone from his knees fell over he was dead he died on his knees. And they looked at him. And the government demanded, the state demanded that his body be brought back. But they pleaded with the state to rip off his heart. And so when the argument was strong and finally they came to a compromise, they agreed. The people ripped off his heart and buried it in Africa and gave them the body and told them, we took his heart because... This is where his heart belongs. He has always been thinking about Africa. And that's how gospel came. 
breaking the darkness. And today, we are beneficiaries of some of this kind of sacrifice that men have paid. Is that what you will compromise now? Because the world decided to justify falsehood and humiliate truth. It is time to become strong, child of God. Confront it in your place of work, in your offices, wherever you are. That is what it means to endure. To endure is not to hide. It is to stand strong and face the battle. For the greatest form of defense is attack. Say the truth and God will be glorified. Lift up your voice and talk to God. Ask him for strength. Somebody will fulfill the prophecy. Jesus said, many will prevail. Can you lift up your voice and say, Lord, I will prevail. In the midst of this all, I will prevail. The manipulations on the youth is, is becoming stronger and stronger. We will prevail. Knowledge is increasing. We will prevail. We look to Yahweh. Our eyes is on him. Because I know he has spoken that many will still remain ambassadors of this faith. But the constancy of the battle cannot cease. Is there somebody here and you are asking for strength in the spirit? Because the kind of opposition you witness around your life is becoming too strong for you to bear. This morning, grace will be available for you. Yes, beyond, beyond all that your hands can do, the hand of the Lord will strengthen you. There are men here. Your hand will be made strong by God himself. Christ in you is the hope of glory. There is no amount of battle that the enemy can put forward that is strong enough to undermine the grace of God upon your life. And so if you are here and you want to make a strong commitment with Jesus Christ, strongly as I'm speaking now, you feel that in so many ways you've compromised, especially in places where you needed to stand bold for Christ. You couldn't stand as bold. And you are here and you want to ask God, strengthen me as I make a covenant with you again. There is no need to plea with you. There is no need to persuade you. Just prayerfully come to the altar. Every one of us, stretch forth your hands and let's pray for them. As you stretch forth your hand, please prophesy. Speak into their lives. Speak into their lives. Those of you in front, say this words after me. Say, Father. Those of you kneeling down, say this word after me. Say, Father. Strengthen me today. I know I've broken covenant with you. I restore my covenant. Strengthen me this morning to represent you wherever I find myself. I want to be the light that shines in darkness. I want to be that city that is set upon the hill. Say it clearly. I want to be that city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. I don't want to be that light that is hidden on a bushel. Strengthen my spirit this morning. I know there's a race I must run. Lord, I know there's a battle to be won. In your sovereignty, I know I have a responsibility. Say it. Lord, in your sovereignty, I still know I have a responsibility. Help me to fulfill my responsibility. 
so that your sovereignty can manifest upon the earth. I came to you with a broken heart. Strengthen my spirit and renew me this morning. Thank you, Father. Jesus mighty name, my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this once. Cause your light to shine upon them. Thou which commanded light to shine out of darkness, command that same light to shine in their hearts so that they can come to understand the knowledge of the glory of God that is upon the face of Jesus Christ. You say this treasure is hidden in its vessel. This treasure is hidden in its vessel that the excellency will be of God and not of a man. Father, may this, may, may, may this treasure of your kingdom rest upon these earthen vessels in the name of Jesus. And from this morning, put in their hearts that enduring grace, that grace that sets a man to distinguish himself among his fellows, that heart that will love righteousness and hate iniquity, set it in their hearts. For that's the position of the church in this end time. And through them, Lord, prophecies shall be fulfilled that many will still prevail. You will prevail. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Jesus mighty name we pray. Lift up your hands, touch. We're going to pray. I realized in the spirit while I was preaching, the Lord just laid it in my heart and I think I will take the prayer. And many of you are going through some battles that you can't really explain. Marriages have been under serious influence and trouble. Some, there are kinds of manipulations that have been upon you for some time now. And the things which you know you could do, the things you are sure you can perform, you, don't, you can't see yourself getting the breakthrough. I was deep in my heart and the Holy Spirit began to lay it strongly. That there are some, there are some forces and, 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 and establishments of darkness that seem to have arisen, even in your family system, that is threatening the good that God has laid upon your family. That person or the group of persons I'm talking about, you are here. I wouldn't take time to go deep to start dealing with the matter. But I want to tell you something. That this moment the power of God is here. Because the presence of God is here. Whatever is still speaking connected with your environment and territory. Which has become the instrument of the devil. Whether he has, whether using man as an instrument of fetish power or cultism or altars. Or whatever the enemy has done to bring complications which you never bargained for into your life. This morning, the hand of the Lord shall rest upon you and it is broken in the name of Jesus. You're going to lift up your hands and pray because right at this moment, the Lord is still made, making it clear in my heart that challenges that have defiled all kinds of effort from you, God is breaking it at this moment. Yes, you will see it come to pass in this week that manifestations will be clear. Because I heard it in my spirit, I know God is doing it. And so challenges that have defiled every effort you've prayed, you've met with brethren, you've tried to do all you can. But it's beginning to look like the enemy has set up a force behind the scene. And even from the voices of men around, it is like a voice is really speaking. And you know that this could be attributed to the diabolic and demonic influences surrounding the same voice. And you are trying to fight it, but the enemy is proving to be strong. This morning, we speak power and grace upon your life. Jesus! Beyond what the devil thinks he can achieve, Jesus Christ prevailed. Yes, he won the battle at the cross. 
and no power could confront him. I pray for you this morning. Lift up your hands wherever you are. Lift up your hands. A woman here, you are crying concerning your children. One of your sons is, is seriously being waylaid by the spirit of the age. Seriously being waylaid by the spirit of the age. Now you are like losing that child. In the name of Jesus, that child is recovered. Yes, in the name of Jesus, that son is recovered. For no devil will take away the fruits of your labor. According to the word of the Lord, he says the children, the sons and daughters which the Lord has given to us, they are for signs and for wonders in Israel. They are for signs and for many wonders in Israel. I pray for families here. Lift up your hands, families. I pray for families here. Husbands, wives. I pray for homes that have been under challenges of the devil. I speak into their lives. Lord, all that the enemy had done in order to wreak havoc and destroy your program in that family. Be destroyed now in the name of Jesus. You have set us up to become reformers. Restorers of broken worlds. Rebuilders of broken cities. And they that will bring back the year, the, the, the year, the prophesied year of our Lord. Fulfill it in the life of your children. Make us worthy ambassadors. In anything we do and wherever we are. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.